before the service, we often have different classes, equipped classes. If you're familiar with the Sunday school model, it's not exactly the same thing, but they're classes that are meant to equip you so that you can um, be better ministers of the gospel. Because that's our role as a church, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so one of the classes that's continuing on, and each week it's been kind of a, a different religion that they've been looking at, is the gospel in world religions. And so this coming week, next week, we'll be looking at kind of new age mysticism or how do you engage people coming from that background. Steve Cliff will be finishing up the class next week. It doesn't matter if you haven't been to the class, you're welcome to come to the final week next week because they are focusing on different religions. Each class kind of is its own week anyway. So we'd love to have you come for that. And then Cross, uh, what's, what's the name of this, the kids? Cross training is the kids class that happens at the same time that Santa Michelle McCune have been doing, and that will be going on next week as well. But when the Attributes of God class is going to start in July, which is the next equipping class that we'd love to have you all come to, learning about what are the different attributes of God so that you're, you can grow in your relationship with God and grow in your knowledge of God so that you can grow closer to Him. So that's going to be a wonderful class. But in that class, July is a little light, so we are suspending the Equip Kids class. And so the Kids class won't be happening in July, but it'll be coming again um, in the fall when we start the next class in September. So with that, if I could have everybody turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 14 to 17, and I can't think of a better passage that just happened to fall on Father's Day than a passage that's all about our adoption and the assurance we have of our adoption. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 14 to 17. And then if I could ask everyone to stand and let's read God's word together. If you're able to stand, please stand and let's read God's word together. This is his holy inspired word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's holy word. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for giving us this gift of your word. Thank you that you have spoken these sweet words of assurance to us for all who are doubting, for all who have fear and unbelief, for all who are more aware of circumstances and trials and struggles, for those who are aware of suffering, for those who are aware of struggle, our own struggle with our own sin. And Lord, whenever we're tempted to doubt, Lord, thank you that you've given this sweet word of your assurance to us. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Abba, Father. I ask that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts, that you would give us more of your spirit, and that you would assure us of your adoptive love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I don't really like it when the ground beneath me shakes. I'm not a big fan. I don't like going across those suspension bridges, at least not the first time when the, when the suspension bridges wiggle. We, we used to live up in Vancouver, British Columbia in that area, and they had a suspension bridge there called Lynn Canyon, and it's 165 feet up, and it, it significantly moves as you walk across, and that's without anybody shaking it. And I remember one time I was standing in my office in Vancouver and talking to my staff or having a little meeting there. And then all of a sudden this, this wave of kind of nausea came over me and I was wondering what's going on. I'm like, I don't remember. And, and then really quickly my mind just starts racing. I think, you know what, uh, what did I eat? I didn't eat anything bad this morning. And that was like hours ago, like five hours ago when I ate. That could have been what I ate. And then I'm thinking, well, nobody I know has gotten sick and I haven't even been feeling ill or I don't have a fever and what's going on. And and I'm kind of running through all this mental inventory of what in the world is going on. I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling a little dizzy and I'm, I'm unstable. And I kind of had to, to hold on to the wall beside me and just stand up. And I had this wave of motion sickness like I've been riding on a small boat in a storm. I've never done that before. Not a good idea. I don't like it. I was confused. I looked around at the people in the office and it, all this seemed to take like hours. And it happened probably about a minute. And I look around at the faces of everybody and everybody else looks confused and kind of a little panicky, a little uncertain, a little unsure. And then I hear some noises I don't normally hear. And we were on the seventh floor, so those noises weren't normal to hear what sounded like a large truck rumbling by. And the seventh floor, so I look out the windows, these huge windows here, and then I hear other noises of the, the, the blinds were slapping against the sides of the window and making noise there. And then for some reason, Stanley Park was moving and the mountains were moving, and the bay is moving, and then it finally dawned on me, oh, this is an earthquake. This is an earthquake. I didn't enjoy it. I, I like telling the story now. I didn't enjoy it. None of us really enjoyed that moment of uncertainty, that moment of being shaken, that, that moment of feeling insecure, unstable, and I don't think anybody really likes feeling that. I don't think anybody loves the relishes like, woohoo, let's ride out of an earthquake, here we go. It's not, a, it's not a pleasant feeling to have instability and uncertainty. Nobody in the right mind wants to live or build their house on shaky ground. And if I, if I knew where a fault was, I wouldn't want to build my house anywhere near it. Thankfully, here in South Carolina, I don't believe, at least, that there's been any major earthquakes that I've, at least as far as I've experienced. And, and thankfully, our house is in a very stable place. I love living in a place where the ground is stable and we don't experience those things and there's not the threat of large chunks of land breaking apart. I like living on stable ground and I think all of us like to live on stable ground. The problem is when we encounter difficulties in our life, it can kind of shake us. Sometimes those difficulties are so big that they have an earthquake-like effect on our lives. Sometimes there are external things that shake us. Sometimes it's actually internal things that shake us and we can be shaken by our own sin. The Apostle Paul has been talking through Romans 7 about the fact that there's this battle that remains within us that we have we have a desire to do what's good, but then we do the very thing we don't desire is the bad thing we do. And the bad thing we don't want to do is the very thing we do and we don't do the thing we... Are you confused yet? And it can be unsettling. It can be unstabilizing. It can, or if that's a word even, it can be destabilizing. It can make you feel uncertain and sometimes that shaking, that rumbling you experience is loud and significant. 
the Apostle Paul, God is aware of, the Apostle Paul was aware of, the Holy Spirit is aware of the fact that the believer can often go through those little tremors, big tremors, little times, big times of, of doubts. And you can wonder, am I really a child of God? Do I really belong? The Apostle Paul has been telling us really in, in the first, last few verses prior to this chapter all about how the fact that if we have the Holy Spirit, then we can be sure we'll live. But then we think, well, how, how can we be sure? How do we know? And so he, he penned this passage because God had him, but ultimately it's because he wanted us to have assurance in God that we, that we are on stable ground no matter how much shaking there is, no matter how much tremors might threaten We are on certain ground. He wants us to have the assurance of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And he says, here's how you can know. Here's how you can be sure. Having the Holy Spirit, it's the greatest assurance that you belong to God's family. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, no matter what happens in this Christian walk, and you will have troubles, you will have difficulties, you will even struggle with your own remaining indwelling sin. But... Having the Holy Spirit is the greatest assurance. That's his main idea. The Holy Spirit's the greatest assurance that you belong to God's family. And well, where am I getting this from? Look down in, in, in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And, and like is typical in Scripture, whenever you see a four in the English Bible, it's normally because it looks back to something before it. That's the case here as well. Let's look back a few verses into Romans chapter 8, verses 11 to 13, what we looked at last week. And we're going to see what he's pointing back to. Why is he telling us about being led by the Spirit of God and being sons of God? He says in, in verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's, he's telling us something that's certain. He's giving us a promise that if we have the Holy Spirit, then he's going to give life to our mortal bodies. And then look in verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, he gives us a promise. He says, You will live. No matter how much you're shaken, no matter how things seem unstable, if you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, you will live. And you think, well, how can I be assured of that? How can I be certain of that? How do I know? At least in my heart, when I read that passage, that's one of the first things that comes up. And Paul anticipates that. And then he tells us, really, in in verses 14 to 17, we can see, and especially in verses 14, that the Spirit's leading, the Spirit's leading means you're a son of God. The Spirit's leading means that you're a son of God. He wants the reader to be sure that you really will live, not only in this life, but in the life to come. He wants to assure the reader that you're going to live, you're going to experience the life of God now and forever, no matter what happens around you, no matter if everything falls, no matter the struggles that are occurring, he wants you to be sure that you're a son of God and that you will live. And he says how you can be sure is because if you're led by the Spirit... That means you really are a son of God and you will live. 
If you're led by the Spirit of God, then you're sons of God. Now, I'm going to touch in a moment why Scripture here says sons and why English translations should not and do not translate that sons and daughters. And in case you're uncomfortable women with the idea of being sons, welcome to the club. I'm a little uncomfortable at times when, when Scripture talks about being the bride of Christ, okay? So those are all helpful metaphors for us. Different pictures, different aspects of what it means to be God's child. And it's important here that we see that he talks about being a son of God. And it's not chauvinistic either. And the overarching idea that Paul is trying to get across is he wants to assure believers in Jesus like you and like me that we will live. Because if you have the Spirit of God, if you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son of God. You have the life of God. And not only that, we can experience the kind of life where we can be confident now in the future because we have God as our Father. Now think about what it means to have God as your Father. In Father's Day, I think it's really appropriate, and we've heard many references already the fact that God is really the only perfect Father. So if your experience of fatherhood has been colored by your own Father, I want you to set that aside and just think for a moment what it would be like, what it is like to have God as your Father. I want to do that really in a might be a little bit of a stretch, but if I was the son of the president, or maybe you can imagine that the previous president, he had, he had two daughters, Sasha and Malia, I think, and as I pronounce her name, and then the current president, his son's name is Baron. And as a son of the president, he enjoys special privileges, he enjoys protection, he enjoys actually his own protective detail, and he gets his own special code name from the Secret Service. He enjoys a level of security that really most of us don't enjoy. He's driven from place to place. Now, you might think it sounds like a prison, but uh, I can't think of a more protective environment where you have a safe environment where he's cared for, his needs are looked after. And in fact, if someone were to attack Baron Trump, it would be like attacking the president himself. It would be like attacking the nation. And so you would incur the wrath not only of the current president, but you'd incur the wrath of the entire U.S. military and the wrath of the nation. That's a privileged position. Now, with that privilege comes a lot of obligations, but, but you understand what it would mean, the privileges it would entail. And that's what I want to look at is the privileges it would mean to be the son of such a powerful leader. And so when God says that if you're led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God, I want you to just think about that for a moment. You know, you might think that the resources of the president are vast, you know, that he can command the U.S. Marines to come to his aid. But the resources of God Almighty are far greater. They make every nation pale in significance. That the knowledge of God, his omnipotence, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is omniscient, he is, he is all-loving. God, as our Father, is significant. It means something. You have God as your father. You can trust that he always has your back. He always will be able to help and protect and care for you. If you have God as your father, you can have assurance. No matter how things are shaken, no matter how your life seems shaken up, no matter what struggles you have internally, if you are led by the spirit of God, you're a son of God. And that should affect every area of your life. That should affect how you, how you think about life. It should affect 
When you interact with everybody else, you can interact with confidence knowing that you're a son of God. It, it should affect your mood. It should affect when, when you're thinking, you're, you know what, I'm going to be battling sin today, but I'm not alone. I'm God's son, and he's given me his spirit to lead me, to assure me that I'm his son. Now, just for a moment, when I explain why the scripture uses this term son of God or sons of God and why it's important. You see, in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, it was the, the line of primogeniture, the, 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 the line of um, where they would receive their inheritance always came through the adult male, uh, always came through a son. And, and especially in Roman culture, who Paul is writing to those in Roman culture. And the firstborn son was always the heir, and they would receive the full blessings and benefits of being an heir. So he's not saying that it's, it's only men who are sons of God. So ladies, he's not saying that this passage only applies to men. He's saying, no, ladies, you too are like sons. In the sense that you have the same status, you have the same privileges, and you have... You have the same rights as a son, equally. And he says something really special here in this verse. He doesn't say that some who are led by the Spirit of God. He says all, all who are led, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's men, women, Jew, Gentile, no matter what your ethnicity might be, your background, your socioeconomic status, all who are led by the Spirit no matter how smart or how dim you might feel you are, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's the only qualifier is that you're led by the Spirit of God. And what a wonderful thing that is. It levels the playing field. We're all sons of God if we're led by the Spirit of God. Now what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? It means that the Holy Spirit is communicating with you. He is is communicating God's desires to you. He is also revealing God's desires to you. It means that you are following the desires of the Spirit. Now, he primarily communicates in and through his word. And if you're led by the Spirit, one of the ways you can tell whether you're led by the Spirit, he just told us a couple verses earlier, he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, if you're setting your mind not on the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit, then you are being led by the Spirit. You don't have to wonder, like, I'm not hearing voices. I don't have any weird goosebumps on me. I don't have, like, liver quivers. Um, No, being led by the Spirit, it means that you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, that you're setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, and that you desire and your life is guided and instructed and shaped by the desires of the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit in those ways, not perfectly, he doesn't say that, and after all he can't mean that because he's just shared in Romans 7 that we have this battle that goes on within us, and the very good things we want to do we don't do, and the, and the things we, we hate we end up doing. So he's not talking about a perfect leading, where we're, we're perfectly following him. He's saying that if you are led, if you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you're setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, if your life and the direction of your life is shaped by the direction of the Holy Spirit, you can have certainty. No matter what shakes, you can have assurance that you are sons of God. So the question for you is, do you desire what God desires? Do you hate what God hates? Do you hate sin? Do you want to love your neighbor and love God? 
Do you in some manner, are you seeing fruit in your life? Now, it's important you ask these questions because there is a qualifier if you're led by the Spirit. In some manner, are you putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Are you growing in setting your mind on the things of the Spirit? Not perfectly, not that your battle is gone because the battle will still be there, but are you pursuing a lifestyle, a manner of life that overall is determined by the Spirit? If you can answer that question positively, even feebly, saying, yes, although I fail, yes, although I struggle, yes, although I have difficulties, I want my life to be directed by the Spirit, and I can see that I'm striving and trying to set my mind on the things of the Spirit and put the de- death the deeds of the flesh. It, it's not that we earn, earn that, it's that those are evidences of being led by the Spirit. So he's giving us assurance here and saying, hey, If you are being led like that in some way by the Holy Spirit, let me give you good news. All of you here. And maybe there's some here who have been fatherless in this life or who've had terrible fathers. He says, here's the good news. You can have assurance that you will live in Christ now and forever to come and that you have a father. If you are led by the Spirit, you're the son of God with all the rights and privileges of sonship. But not only that, Paul continues to give us assurance when we're feeling shaky in life. Look down your Bibles, if you will, in verse 15. He gives us a second reason for assurance. And he tells us, he says, the Spirit's reception means you've been adopted by God. The Spirit's reception means you've been adopted by God. And what that means, by the way, a little in parentheses, and Paul's going to get to this in the latter half of the verse, is you, you don't have to fear anymore. You've not been given that kind of spirit. But you've received the Spirit, you've been adopted by God. Now why does he do that? Because everywhere in Scripture we hear about being born again, having new life. And and that's important for us to see that we've been made alive. But not just that, we must see that God has actually called us and chosen us and said, I want you. If you have the Spirit, if you receive the Spirit, God's adopted you. And you can cry out to God as your Father. Verse 15 says, for you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What's that spirit of slavery he's, he's talking about? I, I believe it's the spirit that's enslaved to sin. It's enslaved to obey the desires of the flesh. The spirit we all have when we're born. But it's, it's not that spirit that we have when we've been adopted. We've been given a new spirit. We've been given a new heart. And the Holy Spirit makes us alive to be able to please God. He makes us dead to the power and the penalty of sin. This verse assures us that we don't Receive a, sla- a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I, I like the song that we sang earlier, Why This Fear and Unbelief Has Not the Father Put to Grief, His Precious Son for Us. And then we heard a word as well that God has poured out all of His punishment on Jesus. And punishment has to do, fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love, God's perfect love for us, casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And we can be sure, because we've been adopted, That nothing, no punishment remains, no obligation, no debt remains. Paul's talking about the fear that we'll be punished like we deserve. It's the fear that if we disobey God, we'll incur his wrath. And he says, you've not been given that kind of spirit of slavery to fall back into fear that you're going to be punished. And fear you're going to get what you really deserve in yourself. You don't have to have the fear of death and being separated from God. You don't have to fear being alone. And being accountable to God on your own, apart from Christ, on your own merit. That's not the kind of spirit you've received. You know, slaves are afraid of losing their privileges or being punished if they step out of line, right? 
He says, you've not received that kind of spirit, a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. Let's think about our own country, you know, countless slaves. They, they lived in constant fear of abuse and punishment and deprivation and separation from their families. And um, it is good to put yourself in their shoes to read those stories, um, not just so you can relate to Scripture, but so that you can relate to a whole segment of our past. I was recently reading the story of Henry Box Brown, if you ever heard of him. Guy who, who actually escaped slavery by mailing himself in a box. And the account, one historical account reads, it says, Brown endured harsh overseers, living in constant fear of the lash that was subject to never-ending verbal abuse and degradation. The final straw came when, despite his owner's promise, Brown's pregnant wife and three children were sold to a plantation in North Carolina. Hours after he had dined with his family at the breakfast table, they were forever torn asunder. The semblance of a life he had built was uprooted. Betrayed, estranged, and dehumanized, Brown had had enough. I began to get weary of my bonds, he remembered, and earnestly panted for liberty, which by the cruel hand of tyranny, I and millions of my fellow men had been robbed. Slavery brings fear, betrayal, weariness and separation and he says to us Paul says to us you've not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear you know even after long after the emancipation proclamation occurred there were many who still lived in a constant state of slavery in the in our country and in fact tomorrow and I I shared about this many many years ago there's this holiday that tomorrow the state of Texas will celebrate and it's called Juneteenth and it's on the night, they're celebrating how on the 19th of June, 1865, the, the town of Galveston, Texas, uh, this huge slave population was still living in slavery long after the Emancipation Proclamation. And, and General Gordon Granger, he rides into town and he declared that you are free and then he made sure they were free. And the Apostle Paul says, you, you, you've not received a spirit like that. You have a spirit that has come to set you free. And because the spirit is here, you can be sure you really are free. We've received the spirit as the guarantee that we've been set free. Now look down in the Bible again, the second half of verse 15. Look, look down your Bibles with me, if you will. He says, you've not received that kind of spirit, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry Abba Father you know being set free is good but the life for freed slaves was often difficult they faced hardship and deprivation some of them ended up starving and they didn't know what to do with their freedom they but for some they were actually taken in and if you could imagine being a slave who was adopted it would make everything different a slave has no real authority. A son has authority. A son has the authority of the Father. And as sons, we've been given the authority of God, our Father. We can resist the devil, it says in Scripture, and he'll flee from us. Corinthians tells us we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Jesus said he's given us authority to do greater works than the works that he did. We've been adopted as sons and And sons have authority through adoption. Now it's important to know that in Roman culture, adoption was actually more significant even than in Jewish culture. And so Paul is writing this predominantly Roman culture and and they would be aware that they had had a a famous Caesar. They had 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 Augustus who was actually adopted. 
And it was a, it was a trend in, in, in Roman aristocracy and wealthy families who did not have an heir, they would choose someone to be their full and rightful heir. And it really meant something. And it was just like they were the child of whoever the ruler or wealthy person would be. And after this long search, this heir would be chosen. There would be a an elaborate public ceremony in this relationship with the father and the son. It would be declared in public three times. You're adopted, you're adopted, you're adopted. And there would be this declaration. And in that, they would read off the list often of the debts of the adopted child. And then those debts would be transferred publicly to the father. And the father would then take on all the obligations all the duties, all the debts, all the responsibilities of his adopted son would become the father's duties and obligations and responsibilities, and the son would no longer be obligated. He would get a new name that effectively get a new life. And their adoption was actually considered more permanent and binding than even natural children. Once you adopted somebody in that first century culture, there was no going back. You could actually give away your own kids, and they could be adopted by someone else. But once you adopted someone and it was formal, it wasn't undone. And so if you're a Christian, and you were born again, you received the Holy Spirit, and you've been led by the Spirit, you have the assurance that The Holy Spirit is this sign or this seal, the reception that you have of the Holy Spirit is a a proof that you've been adopted. And you've been declared righteous and all the debts and obligations and duties you had to your old parentage is gone. All the debts and duties and obligations that you had to the flesh, all the debts and duties and obligations you had to the law, they have all been transferred in Christ. And the father assumed all of those in his son. And now you've been declared righteous. You've been adopted. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new life. And not only that now, you've been given a new way of relating to God. In the Old Testament, they they weren't able. They called God their father in, in writing. But you never see an instance where someone is personally relating to God with a family kind of feel with a family name it's a it's a term of respect but in the new testament it changes a little and we see that jesus in the garden of gethsemane he uses the aramaic word abba and he couples that with father abba father it's a close it's a tender name it's a name of intimate privilege with of a relationship with god and it says the spirit if you receive the spirit he gives you that same unction, the same desire, and that same heart that cries out, Abba, Father. If you've cried out to God like that, if you've received the Spirit, you can be sure that you are adopted. You can say, God, you are my Father, Abba, and you know you're led by the Spirit. I was thinking about that, that illustration of crying out. He says, cries out, Abba, Father. Every one of my children, in the middle of the night, at some point when they were somewhere between babies to four, um, every one of them cries out, or has cried out, and Eva still does most nights. And so she'll say, Daddy! Now sometimes it's because she's, you know, milking it, literally, and she wants more milk. Um, Other times it's because, you know, she has to go to the bathroom. Other times she's had a nightmare and she's afraid, she's fearful, Other times she's distraught. 
She needs help, and her cry is of terror. But when she cries out to me, I love it. I know it sounds crazy. Yeah, even in the middle of the night, I love it. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when I don't feel like it, when I'm like, I'm torn, and I'm kind of grumbling. But I love it because I love to be there for her. I love that she's crying for me. I even like it a little when she says my name instead of Julie's. I just, I love that. She says daddy, not mom. I mean, I like that. That's probably wrong. But I'm okay with that. And I love it when she says daddy. And I like that she likes me to put her to bed. And, and that I'm a comfort to her. And, and I was thinking the way she, she cries out to me is that same kind of cry that the Spirit gives to us. That assurance that we're no longer orphans. And we have a Father who loves us, will come to our aid. And he gives us assurance, this cry gives us the assurance that we're no longer orphans. And I, I love when Jesus said, he says in John 14, verse 16, Jesus made this promise prior to going and sending the Spirit. And Jesus made this promise in John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What a wonderful assurance. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in the spirit, through the spirit. If you receive the spirit, you are no longer orphans. You've been adopted. I was thinking about what it means to be an orphan if we had not been adopted. We were once orphans. You know, and I like this song, How Has the Orphan Been Adopted? How Has the Sinner Been Made Clean? A lady named Rosemarie Miller came up with a list of characteristics of orphans. She wrote, Orphans have to take care of themselves. Orphans must be strong. Orphans must protect themselves from being taken advantage of. Orphans cannot depend on anybody. Orphans cannot be weak. Orphans crave to be taken in and love, but doubt they ever will. Orphans want to be accepted to belong. Orphans only trust themselves. Orphans cannot get too close. Orphans are on the outside looking in. But this list is not true of us if we are in the Spirit, if we've received the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit as adopted children. Listen to what's true now. As adopted children, God takes care of us. As adopted children, we rely on God's strength. As adopted children, God protects us and we can trust in him. As adopted children, we can depend upon God as our father. As adopted children, when we are weak, our father is strong. As adopted children, he's taken us in and chosen to love us forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. As adopted children, we belong to God and his family, even if some of his family members here are a little crazy and messed up. As adopted children, we can trust in our Father, though all others fail. We're not orphans. We've been adopted. We can cry out to God with the same cry that Jesus cried to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father. Being led by the Spirit assures us that we're sons of God. Receiving the Spirit assures us we've been adopted by God. And the third, the final assurance we're going to look at in these verses is that the Spirit's witness certifies that we're God's heirs. The Spirit's witness certifies that we are God's heirs. Look down at verse 16, please. Look down your Bibles in verse 16. The Spirit himself, the Spirit of God himself, bears witness with our spirit that we 
are children of God. As we cry out to God as Father, the Spirit bears witness. It's like the Holy Spirit sitting in the witness stand. And just look up here for a moment and imagine that this is, um, uh, that the judge is here and that the witness box is here and, and that this is the courtroom. And so it's like God is standing in this, the place of the judge and the Holy Spirit is in the place of the witness stand, and there is an accuser of the brothers who comes up and says, you're not really God's child, you're not really God's son, you don't really belong to God's family, because look at all that sin in your life, look how you continue to struggle, look, you're suffering, God must really hate you, look, you're having problems and troubles, you probably really don't belong to God's, I question the validity of your paternity. And so the Holy Spirit gets up as an expert witness, and he's like a DNA witness, a DNA expert testifying. He said, no, I've looked. I've, I've looked at the DNA and I, I can assuredly say with a, a 100% match, if they even have that, they don't, but in a 100% match, I can be sure that no, that's not true. No matter what the accuser says, no matter what sin there is, no matter the, the challenges and the difficulties, the Holy Spirit testifies as a witness that we are children of God. And then look at verse 17. Paul writes, And if children, then heirs. The Holy Spirit, he, he testifies as, and now who's a better witness than the Holy Spirit? Who's more reliable expert testimony than the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit gives witness. Now if the Holy Spirit gives witness, nobody can trump that, no matter what other witnesses are called. He's the perfect witness, but if you are a child of God, then you're an heir. And Paul's almost astounded here. He says, then heirs. And then he kind of little dash there because he repeats it, heirs. Heirs of God. And then he explains to them, heirs, heirs of, you're an heir. Heirs, heirs of God. And then get this. That means if Jesus is God's son, then you are an heir of God. Then you are a fellow heir. Look in your Bibles there. It says fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order we may be glorified with him. We have this wonderful privilege of being free and being a son. We've received the status of an heir. You see, an adopted son would receive all the rights and privileges of being the heir to all that their father had. And since adoption was often carried out by the wealthy families the wealthy elite emperor's adoption was really so that the heir, this new son, would steward all that the father had. And in turn, they'd, they'd manage and run and carry out the adopter's father, adopted father's wishes while inheriting all the means of his estate to carry out his intentions. Now think about the fact that we're not just any heir. We are heirs, and Paul makes this emphasis directly, we're heirs of God. You know, sometimes my, my kids have a hard time paying attention when they're little. I'm not going to say that they don't when they're growing up. I'm just saying it's even harder when they're little. And sometimes you have to take your hand, take, take your hands and you put your, say, okay, wait, 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 look at me, look at me. Hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. It's like Paul's saying that he says, hey, look at me, you're, you're heirs, okay? Heirs of God. Look at me, heirs of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? You have been given the privilege of being a fellow heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. 
We inherit all the blessings. What does it mean? We inherit all the blessings of God's kingdom in and through Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.11, I think we have the scripture for you. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you notice the same kind of language here? Paul's talking about, in, in Romans 8.13, you will live. You can be sure, certain you will live with him. You're going to endure. And not only that, because you're an heir, you're going to reign. You're going to reign with him. Like Jesus reigns in glory, you're going to have a share in his reign. Now, as Jesus rules, you too will share in his rule over creation. Think about that. That is mind-blowing. As the Son is king of all, somehow, under him, under his rule, his reign, his authority, we will be fellow heirs with Jesus? That almost seems wrong to say. Fellow heirs with Jesus? We're not deserving. How could we be so bold as to say that? Because we've been adopted. We're sons. We're heirs. Because God has proclaimed that. Because it's not based on our merit. Because it has nothing to do with our earning. It has everything to do with the fact that we have all the rights and privileges that Jesus earned in our place. And now we're fellow heirs with Christ. That should make you blush. We're fellow heirs with Christ. Think about how amazing that is. Not just in the life to come, but in in part right now, we already have been made heirs in our ability to reign over sin. That's why he says, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let sin reign over you, reign over it. Why? Because you're a child of the king. Because you're an heir, you're a son. You, you have the authority to reign over sin. Stop it. Don't let sin reign over you. Start reign, you, you reign over it. Live that way. We've been made heirs. We're, we're free from the law. Only an heir can be free from the law. We can conquer sin by the spirit. We can fulfill the royal law of liberty in serving the king now, here and now. You're heirs. Now, we live in this already but not yet time. We've already been made heirs, but not yet fully, because, you know, an inheritance is only fully received in death. Now, God does not die. Jesus did die for us to secure our inheritance when we die. We receive our inheritance. And and he says something at the end there. He adds a little something there. Something that I think sometimes we're uncomfortable with. Look down your Bibles. It says, if children were heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. And then he asks this little line at the end that, that I don't really like a lot, but it's actually meant to bring us comfort. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. It doesn't mean that by your suffering you earn the right of being an heir. It says, you're an heir. And what that means is you're going to suffer with him. And the fact that you are suffering with him is evidence that you are an heir. Because like Christ suffered, we will suffer. But take heart. Although we suffer with him, you too will be glorified with him. You can be sure in the midst of difficulty, when everything around you is shaking, when suffering happens, it's not punishment for you as a believer. 
If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you are trusting in him, if your heart's cry is Abba, Father, if you're being led by the Spirit, you can be, sh- you can be sure, you can be certain that any suffering you encounter is not punishment for you as a believer. And it doesn't mean God hates you. After all, he punished his own son to redeem you. Jesus hadn't earned being punished. It was the reverse. He was punished because he was perfect, because he was God's son. He was punished in our place. If you are suffering with Christ, you can be sure you have an inheritance. Our inheritance of God's promises and our being comforted in the image of Christ, it comes through the same road to glory that, that Christ took through the path of suffering. That's what he's saying. And through that suffering that you might be experiencing, that suffering of your own sin, the suffering of trials, suffering of difficulties and circumstances, and that suffering that feels like your very foundations might crack and crumble and fall apart, it will result in in your glorification and your ultimate reception of your inheritance. And you can be sure of that if you're being led by the Spirit of God. You can be sure of that if you've received the Spirit in your heart's cry as an Abba Father. You can be sure you're a son. You can be sure you're adopted. You can, you can be sure that you're an heir. I couldn't imagine being an heir to some of the richest people in the world, like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, if they actually gave their children their inheritance, which I think they both plan not to. I couldn't imagine that, but imagine the riches of God. And he says, you're an heir of God fellow with Christ. And, and think about what God said to Christ. He's put all things under his feet. You're a fellow heir with Christ. You will suffer as Christ suffered, but because the Spirit leads us, we can be sure we're sons. Because we have the Spirit, we can be sure we've been adopted. Because the Spirit witnesses to our spirit and we cry out, Abba, Father, we can be sure and have a lasting hope. No matter how the ground shakes, no matter how our life and all around us seems to sway and be unstable, if we have the Holy Spirit of God, we can be sure that we are building our lives on solid ground. Though the earth give way, we have assurance that we will experience the life of God now and forever. For those who lack assurance and should not, because you've been given the Spirit, This passage is for you. This passage is for all those who feel abandoned, for those who feel alone, for those who feel like you've been orphaned, for those who feel like outcasts and can't relate, for those who feel like they're strange or weird or unlovable, for those who feel powerless or unable on their own, for people who feel like they never will have anything, for those who feel undeserving or unloved. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're sons of God. If you've received the Spirit, which by the way, if you're led by the Spirit, you've received the Spirit, that means you're adopted. And if you receive the Spirit and you're adopted, that means you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, that means you're a fellow heir with Jesus. And he wants you to find assurance there. Amen? Well, let's pray. And as I pray, go ahead and the band come, come forward. God, thank you that we have been adopted. 
that you have made us rebels clean. Father, thank you that you've loved us, that you've called us, that you've chosen us, that we're not alone, we're not orphans. And thank you, God, that we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, and have strong assurance, even though we may suffer, that you will one day fully glorify us as you have glorified your Son because we are sons of God. We will be glorified. And God, I pray for everyone this Father's Day that we would have assurance not in our earthly fathers, but we would have assurance in you, God, as our Father. For those who have not placed their faith in you, God, I pray that you would bring conviction and you would also bring a desire to cry out to you, Abba, Father. For all those who have not placed their faith in you, God, I pray that you would give them the ability this morning to confess their sins, to confess their need for you, to, to turn from those sins and to turn to you and say, God, Save me through your son. I put my trust in Jesus and all that he's done in my place, his life, his death, and his resurrection in my place. And God, I pray that all here would know you as our loving father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's stand and sing together one last song. The orphan been adopted. Which one? What do you sing? Yeah.